Hello and welcome to the Forbes India Cover Story podcast series in association with the indicas.com. My name is Abhishek and uh, this particular podcast is slightly special because Forbes India celebrates its third anniversary with this issue and to talk about this we have Shishir Prasad the deputy editor Hi Shishir Hi Abhishek and and we also have after a long long time the executive editor Charles Assisi Hi Charles nice to have you back Hey Abhishek nice to nice to be talking to you what can the reader expect in this issue's uh, Forbes India? Uh, in this uh, issue of Forbes India, I mean, basically, what we thought is let's let's just go absolutely all out because we've had a good run uh, in terms of uh, the the way we have grown in a market that uh, everybody else has every other business title in the uh, space has been declining. Forbes is the only one that has been growing. So we said, hey, our readers have been good to us, and you know they've been kind to us, and to uh, show our appreciation, let's do something. Uh, let us uh, come up with a double issue, and that is exactly what we've done. So it's basically structured into two parts. One is the best of Forbes, as we call it, where we've picked up stories uh, that have appeared since over the last one year, which we thought are the best stories uh, that uh, our writers uh, have managed to produce. And in the other part is we asked uh, 22 leading thinkers of our time one fundamental question, why does virtue make solid business sense? Or or to put it simply, why is it important to be good? And we got some uh, terrific, terrific people on board, uh, starting from you know Richard Branson to Creighton Christensen to Michael Porter to Ed Freeman to Howard Gardner to Paul Polman, uh, Terry Lee, John McKay, Raj Sisodia. Na- you name them, we have them here, and they've uh, all spoken about this theme. And uh, Shishir led the project on this, so I'll let Shishir speak a little more about this. Right. You also got Sadhguru Jaggi Vasudev as well uh, on his take on morality in business. Yeah, like Charles said, we had a cross spectrum of people and that's the more important thing. I mean, one of the key things in coming up with the concept was that we should not be limited just to businessmen, for instance. Right. Let's start with the uh, the first part since it's a double issue. Charles, you mentioned about the standout articles that uh, have come about in the last year. Uh, one thing that I noticed as a reader is that you've put some diverse personalities on the cover. So, for instance, we had Michael Nobbs not long ago, who is the coach of the Indian field hockey team. You had Vijay Malia, which is a usual suspect, but you had Rahul Gandhi. You had a cover story on the Rajasthan Cricket Academy about a year back, just before India was to go on to win the World Cup. So, how has the response been from the readers? And uh, isn't there a bit of a risk when you put such people on the cover, which which is not strictly business? So, how, how has it been the last year? Well, it's an interesting question that you uh, put up, Abhishek. But the way we look at it is that the way we defined ourselves is that, you know, we live in a large world and there is a lot that can be learned from people who are not necessarily business people. There are some lessons that are absolutely universal. Uh, How is it that we distill their wisdom? What have their key learnings been? And how can those lessons then be extrapolated into the world of business, uh, for instance? So, so if we were to talk about Michael Nobbs, for instance, who is now the Indian hockey coach, what is he fundamentally doing? I mean, basically, he's taking a, a team that has been, for all practical purposes, written off, and nobody gives it a chance in hell. And uh, he's attempting to turn them into a bunch of world beaters. Now, if we were to extrapolate that 
into the world of business, think about a company that has gone sick, which was once upon a time doing very well. And uh, it somewhere down the line, things just got derailed. And then you get a new CEO in place who comes in with a fresh set of ideas, who comes in with a totally different perspective. And he infuses this much needed dose of enthusiasm. And he brings in some great leadership to the table, which is why Michael Nobbs found his way to our cover. So it's not entirely a story about hockey, but it is a story about leadership. That's how we'd like to put it, which are, which are very universal values, which are universal traits. And those really have been our parameters. I mean, it's, our stories are not always about what happens in the boardroom, but they're about some universal human values. Leadership is one of them. And uh, if we can pick up leadership from a Michael Nobbs, then hey, then let's go after him. Let's try to understand how this man ticks and uh, what is the whole thing about. So that's really been our thinking around the whole thing. And what are some of the, the articles that stood out? So can you give us a few examples? Uh, you know, that's a very painful question <laughs> to answer, because uh, not for anything else, but because uh, to our minds, uh, we put in 100% into every story that uh, goes into the magazine. So it's, it's almost like asking a parent to uh, pick up their favorite child. So I won't put that answer straight. But what we did, however, is that there were a lot of stories that found terrific resonance with readers. And uh, we measured it in terms of the feedback that uh, came back to us to, to take a final call on what stories go into this particular compendium. And when we looked at the kind of feedback and the number of stories that we had, uh, we realized that there were way, way too many stories that got some terrific feedback. And we have only a certain number of pages. So we said, hey, let's do one thing. Let's play tic-tac-toe out of the stories that we have. And we picked up the stories that could fit into the number of pages that we have. And uh, we put those stories into this particular edition. And uh, the stories that got left out, uh, we are uh, going to be publishing it as an ebook, which will be available complimentary to all our readers. And it will be available for free downloads. Just our way of saying thanks to our readers for being with us. And, and it should uh, be up online in a few days. I'm trying hard to imagine what the, the editor's room would be like, where all you guys put your heads together and trying to compile this particular issue because you will have your own differences of opinions too, right? What has to go in, what should be kept out, but we're looking forward to this one. Let's move on to the other one then, where you brought in some very intelligent minds to answer the question of virtue in business. I will ignore that comment. I will <laughs> ignore that comment, Abhishek. It, inf it, it implies that the previous volume, the compendium of best stories does not have the finest minds. <laughs> but, but on a more serious note, yeah. You know, let's call them celebrities. Uh, you, you, you have the finest minds in Forbes India, but a little lesser yeah. celebrities as compared to somebody like, you know, Michael Porter or Jackie yeah, Walsh. That's much better. <laughs> right. Indrajit Gupta or IG, as you know, everyone knows him. He writes in the editor's note that how business can be a force of good in the society. That is one question that everybody tries to answer in the list of essays. But fundamentally, uh, can there be anything called as good capitalism? Isn't that a bit of an oxymoron? I think a lot of people have asked that question, and especially in what has happened with starting at the financial crisis in 2008, people have been talking about how capitalism that is broke and is responsible for all these things. At a very straight level, a lot of things that we carry out in our lives owe it to this particular system of human endeavor. I mean, we hold our jobs, you find products and services, all those come through this particular system. So given the fact that this is what makes 
many things in life are available to you there might be something wrong with it but to say that can anything be called good capitalism i think that is stretching things too far and that is precisely why we have done this issue because what we say is that like science like arts even this field of human endeavor is something that you know lights up people's lives and it solves basic needs and so that's why we decided and brainstormed and came up with this idea and said this is the right time we are not right now in the middle of anything particularly aggravating like we were in let's say 2008 which when which was the crisis time so let's ask ourselves how business can be considered as a force for good and that's really the genesis of it and most people agreed because they felt that this is the right question to be asked and what are some of the answers you know that you got what is a common thread or are there differences of opinion even in to answer this question among all the experts because they all come from diverse fields a lot of people do believe that business or companies are not just abstract legal entities that they too are living organisms which are part of human society therefore they must not just see themselves as a legal construct so if you have followed all the rules it doesn't mean that you're necessarily good just the way helping and somebody old across the road is not part of any legal contract but you do it because of a certain moral drive that emerges inside you and i think when companies step out and they say okay we will for instance paul polman who is leading lights in terms of sustainability and he said that we will produce unit levels similar kind of revenues but at fraction of the you know resources that you, natural resources that they use and i think that's a very important step and he's doing it all by himself it also ties into a very important message which you know i think indrajit men- mentions in his uh, letter which is that considering yourself as a force for good is also in some way tied to the longer view of the future so you are not just existing for 3 to 4 years you're not just here to please the analyst who wants you to deliver two quarters earnings growth and growth that's essential by no means are we saying that business is soft that's not what we are saying it just has to be good so therefore you know if you take the long view and even it means you know slightly tougher decisions in the near term if you're investing for the long term it will probably show right and i think paul polman's essay he mentions that uh, he's not a great fan of quarterly reporting because it's too short term a view and uh, he says it's absurd and he's he's abandoned that if i remember the article correctly so th- these are some of the tweaks that need to be done in getting good business out would that be right to say i think there is two very interesting views in this and i would urge readers to sort of read all of them what to your point about taking this tough decisions i think michael sandel who is a professor of justice at harvard and his course online is extremely popular and he says this very clearly he says that it's precisely when the times are tough that you need to show that you're good that's what makes a stand out so in spite of investor pressure a guy steps up and says that i will do this and to secure that buy in inside and outside the company i think that's what bigger ceos will do and the other one is about clayton christensen who gives us this wonderful piece which talks about the dangers of marginal thinking where he says that look you can't become good all of a, all of a sudden on a day it's like practice so for instance if you are a cricket player if you want to execute the perfect cover drive if you suddenly place on a stage you won't be able to do it it takes hours of practice and he says doing the right thing also takes practice so it's in series of small decisions that you take right through that you get to a stage that when a big tough decision is placed before you you will take the right decision i think that's a excellent piece and it very suitably i think leads the entire issue just to add to that 
Michael Porter, for instance, he's made a very powerful case for this, that, you know, just get rid of, you know, get your minds off these things like quarterly earnings calls and uh, calls from analysts and uh, things like that. In fact, you know, as we were putting this issue to bed, I won't take the name of the gentleman right now, but a couple of us were having this conversation with him, and he's the CEO of uh, what is now one of the uh, largest insurance uh, companies uh, in the country right now, very grounded person, and he made this point. He said that at his organization, he has banned all of his employees from watching business television during the daytime. Really? Really, he's, he's actually done that. And uh, he does not want them to keep track of the stock prices either. Not for anything else, but because what is the larger purpose of your business? What is the goal that you are trying to achieve? And when you are focused on quarterly earnings, you tend to take shortcuts because all you need to do is you need to prop up your earnings, you need to show a good face to the markets, you need to exaggerate whatever it is that you are doing. You simply lose, uh, like I said, lose sight of the long-term perspective. Right, and Charles, you, you brought up Michael Porter there very briefly, and he says in his essay about two things is everybody talks about philanthropy or corporate social responsibility as an alternative when it comes to doing good, and he says that is not enough or that, that is missing the point wholly. He says you should be using the power of business instead. So what does he mean by that? It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive is what I get from it as a reader. That is doing good and doing business need not necessarily be viewed separately then. Oh, yes, absolutely. In fact, they are not mutually exclusive uh, things. I mean, people tend to imagine or assume that the purpose of business is profitability at the cost of everything else. But that really is not the purpose. You see, money at the end of the day, making money is one of the metrics perhaps of how far you have gone, you know, what you have achieved really. There are other metrics as well. You know, for instance, how many people's lives have you managed to touch? How many products have you introduced into the market that has changed the game dramatically? How many innovations that you have managed to bring into the world that have changed things dramatically? All of this happens in business, in the world of business. So business to that extent is a, is a very noble enterprise. It's really about people. It's really about what best can you do for the world around you. And money is a byproduct of that. And that is often misinterpreted. Do you see MBA curriculums changing to incorporate all of this in their textbooks in India abroad? Because it was mildly amusing to read Mr. Nitin Noria, who is the dean of Harvard Business School. He advocates that these schools should have, or businessmen should have the Hippocratic Oath equivalent. Uh, in in business like the doctors have so it's amusing only because you you don't see this happening in mba schools i have an mba degree i don't know if i should be proud of that or not but they don't teach such things in b schools so do you see curriculums changing over time well uh, dean nitin noria he hit the nail on the head for far too long b school grads mba school grads have been bought up on the notion that their life will be measured in terms of how many zeros are there at the end of their paycheck or how many cars can they afford or you know these kind of uh, metrics that is not the purpose of business in the first place that awareness started coming in only after that great crash after the great meltdown started happening because why did the meltdown happen in the first place i mean what drove it in the first place it was greed at the end of the day 
And had it not been for that kind of greed, would you have had your Goldman Sachs and your uh, and these large financial institutions just melting down? Would you have had millions of people losing their livelihoods, their pensions, you know, everything that they earned overnight? Would it have gone down the drain? No, absolutely not. I mean, what was driving it was because there was a bunch of people who were just focused almost to the exclusion of everything else on themselves. It's the kind of thinking that was almost lionized in movies like Wall Street. Everyone wanted to be that aggressive trader on Wall Street or the equivalent on the stock markets across the world. It, it doesn't work that way. And to that extent, so it makes practical sense. And uh, it ought to be drilled into the heads of students that you have to be good because being good, as Richard Branson put it in one of our essays, you know, the price of not being good is horribly expensive. So you have to be good, come what may. That has to start from B-schools. More recently, Yahoo would have found that out with Scott Thompson, who was barely a few weeks in the company. He allegedly claimed a degree that he did not have. And he's been in the papers for the wrong reasons, for not doing good. And sometimes these things can boomerang a little more quickly than expected. Last couple of questions. One is one essay that struck with me was that of Subroto Bakchi, where he explains that it's not necessarily good if you govern by force. Good things might not ensue if you just govern by force. And he gives a few examples. But as a counterpoint, wouldn't it be right for the government or an authority to step in each time there are certain crooks in the whole process, in the whole capitalistic environment where you do something wrong, you've got to be punished? So am I not reading between the lines or did I get something wrong there? Because there has to be a regulator, right, at the end of the day if somebody gets something wrong. Well, let's put it that way, uh, this way, Abhishek. I mean, that sounds like a very deeply philosophical question and it can be uh, taken at various levels. I mean, do we need a regulator? Let's look at it from, a, from the prism of technology, for instance. Let's look at Wikipedia on the one hand uh, versus the Encyclopedia Britannica on the other hand. What is there in Encyclopedia Britannica that is not there in uh, Wikipedia. In fact, Wikipedia is the perfect example of a model where there is no force that has been used. It just relies on the goodness of people to contribute to the larger good, to the collective, and that it has done so well for itself bears itself out in the fact that the Encyclopedia Britannica has pretty much seized uh, publication. Deep down, Fundamentally, we are primed to be good, but there are forces that kind of take you off course, take you worry. And uh, do you need a regulator for that? I would say no, you don't need a regulator. The only regulator we have lies within ourselves because everybody's got to die at the end of the day. And if you can just put yourself into the future and on your deathbed, and ask yourself that what have I achieved during the 60, 70, 80 years that I was uh, there around in my life? What was the purpose? What was the goal of my life? And if you can work backwards from there, I think that itself is the, you know, is the biggest regulator of them all because at the end of the day, death is the only truth, the only reality, so to speak. I, I'd come at it from that perspective and Shishir, you may probably have another take on this. No, I think uh, you've summed it up pretty well. You need the laws and they're all needed. But we are talking about an issue which goes a bit beyond it. What we are saying is that if you just followed all the laws, rules, have you done enough? And I think that's what the question is. It's what would be called as a necessary and a sufficient condition. So it is followed, necessary to follow all the laws, but is it sufficient to just do that 
to have a higher meaning in life i think most of us know that no you got to probably go a little beyond that right on that slightly philosophical note uh, it's time to wrap up but before we do that wh- what are the celebration plans in forbes india after the issue is out in 24 hours from now so what are the great plans we probably have a small little party the tyranny of the publication business is that the moment you get off one you are already on to the next treadmill okay. because right. you know this doesn't stop but yeah i think we have a celebration plan and we'll probably have something during this in the, the coming week great congratulations again and best of luck all you listeners you can get this podcast on forbesindia.com as well as the indicas.com thanks again and of course to subscribe to forbes don't forget to sms forbes to 51818 thank you shishir and charles once again thank you abhishek and uh, we look forward to having you at the party as well thank you very much i'll be there